Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, I, I want to encourage you. I know that we just advertise um, Grief Share. If you have lost somebody, I know this has been, a, last year has been a year of a lot of loss, a lot of grief. I know I've done many, many funerals and memorial services last year. If you've lost somebody, we just want to encourage you to come out and join us tomorrow night. My wife and another uh, friend of ours are going to be leading it tomorrow. It's just a time for maybe God just to do some healing, some stuff there. I know sometimes... Uh, you know, maybe you lost somebody a couple of years ago and you're still working through it. It's, it's there, you know, grief is an interesting thing. Um, but we also want you to be loved on and encouraged and know that you're not alone through it. So I want to encourage you, if you want to come tomorrow at 6.30, come join us. Um, come check it out. You don't even have to say anything. Just, just listen. You know, sometimes people say, oh, if I go, I got to say something. No, you can just come and just listen and see what the Lord does. So I just want to invite you to come tomorrow night here. We're going to be in the sanctuary here tomorrow night starting at 6.30. Amen. Hey, we're going to continue on in our, our Freedom in Christ series uh, uh, this morning. We're going to look at, we're going to be in two different books, an Old Testament book and a New Testament this morning. So we're going to hold on to Zechariah chapter 3 and then we'll hold Romans chapter 6. We're going to be looking at two of those stories this morning as we talk about Freedom in Christ, the aspect of newness of, of life, you know. I love watching old Western movies. You know, the wild, wild West was known for many of its, its outlaws, Right? Billy the Kid, Jesse James, right? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids and the like, right? Well, those guys were known by their posters because those posters said, wanted, dead, or alive. And these posters really motivated the, the bounty hunters to pursue these outlaws for financial gain, whether dead or alive. Listen, all of us were outlaws at one time, apart from cross, Christ. And we had an enemy, a bounty hunter, a satanic bounty hunter, who pursued us to rob us of our identity and the riches found only in Christ. But let me tell you something. We have another bounty hunter who pardoned us from our sins. This obedience to this bounty hunter exchanged his life for our life. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And his act of obedience set us free from the bondage of sin. For we were dead in our trespasses of sin, but he made us alive. He gave us newness of life. Amen. Guys, we're continuing on in this series called Freedom in Christ, looking at the fact that we were dead in our sin and alive in Christ. But sometimes I think we fail to realize that we have been set free from sin, but we still walk in slavery. And so there needs to be a renewing of the mind in regards to our freedom in Christ. I want to address the statement. We've been looking at statements and addressing statement each Sunday. And here's the statement I want to propose to you. Am I drawn to, to, to severe authors and preachers who challenge me to get serious about my sin or those who encourage me to trust and the new identity in me. Our freedom comes when we focus on God's work of freedom, not on the enemy's work of oppression and bondage. And I want you to see that this morning. Let's pray. Father heaven, we come this morning asking that you would guide and lead us this morning as we enter into this time of worship of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us in the ways that we can be set free. Lord, that Father, you're doing this work in us. You're going to be faithful to complete it. 
And so, Lord, we trust that the work you're doing by your spirit, Lord, is, is a continual work. It's a process. It's a process of maturity. And so I'm asking this morning as we look at how you clothe us with this new garments and how you, how you put to death sin in our life and how we're made to newness of life, Lord, we pray that we begin to grasp this freedom that you've given us and that we learn to walk in that freedom. And so I thank you and I praise you and I honor you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We're basically going to look at two things this morning. Two things, a likeness and appropriation. Number one, a likeness clothed in newness of life. If you have your Bibles, open up to Zechariah chapter 3, 1 through 5. It's in the Old Testament. We call it in the areas of the minor prophets. So you have a lot of little books at the end of the Old Testament. We call those the minor prophets. There's a book called Zechariah. We're going to be in, in chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 5 first. And then we're going to jump over to Romans chapter 6 in a minute. I love Jackie Chan movies. I don't know if you like that Jackie Chan. But in 2002, he made a movie called The Tuxedo. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but in that movie, he's a taxi driver, just a simple taxi driver, but he had the duty to take and drive Devlin, this, this agent. He was a, a secret agent, kind of a spy agent, right? And there's a scene in the movie where the, 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 he gets, the, the taxi gets kind of attacked, and Devlin is critically wounded, and he's about to die. And Jackie Chan's with him, and what happens is in that moment, Devlin, this, this agent, looks at Jackie, and he says this, put on my tuxedo, and you'll have supernatural powers, and you'll have my glory. And, and, and Jackie Chan, he, he takes, he puts on this tuxedo, and all of a sudden, he has these supernatural powers. He can walk up walls, he can do martial arts, he can do backflips, and he uses all this power to defeat his enemies that he has to, to battle. Listen. We are the Jackie Chans of the world this morning, right? At the cross, Jesus made us put on this, his righteousness and power. And when we put on Christ, we put on his character and his glory. And we have been given supernatural powers. We will share in his greatness. And we've been clothed with his righteousness and been called the servitude to defeat an enemy. And people are going to marvel at you. You know why they're going to marvel at you? Because some of you are the Iron Man here in this room. Some of you are the, 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 the super women and super men. Some of you have supernatural power, and people are going to marvel at what you do because of how Christ clothed you and empowered you and created you in this newness of life. But we have to understand in this newness of life, there's a process, and there's one who doesn't want to see that you have newness of life, and we call him an accuser of the brethren, and he does that before the Lord. So here's Zechariah chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says this. Then he showed me Joshua, high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem to rebuke you is not a brand plucked from the fire. We know that Zechariah was a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And in this book, there are many, many chapters, right? And he has eight visions. When you get to chapter 3, this is the fourth vision of eight visions we see here. And we know that he's, he's a high priest, right? And so he's a high priest standing before the Lord, but we also know that the enemy is present as he's standing before the Lord. And it's going to be a beautiful picture. The story's going to be a beautiful picture of the work of Christ and Joshua, the high priest. But it's actually very symbolic of our transformation to newness of life as we begin to look at this story. 
Joshua was the high priest who had the, the, the duty to perform the services for God's people in the Old Testament. He was to serve God's people right after the exile. When they were in bondage for 70 years under Babylonian rulership, they're set free, and you have this priest who's called to serve the people. His name's Joshua. We know him as Eshua. It's the Lord of salvation. Is the meaning of his name. He's an Old Testament type of Jesus, but he's also a priest, a mediator for people who works on half of the people, like Jesus will be the mediator for men. And we see here that Joshua has a vision. Zechariah has a vision, and Joshua is standing before the Lord. He, he's standing before Jesus, says an angel of the Lord, big A, right? It's a type of Jesus. We know that Jesus is seen in the Old Testament, so when you look at certain words, you know that this is Jesus in the Old Testament. Just like Joshua's standing before the Lord, standing before you. One day we're going to stand before the Lord. It's called the Bema Seat. We only have to read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we will give an account of all that we've done. In fact, if you read the book of Zechariah, you only have to go to, back to chapter 1 when you see some of the visions of things taking place, and the angels are giving an account of all the work is done in the spiritual realm, and they're giving an account to the Lord of all that's happening. If the angels have to give an account to God, surely we have to give an account to the Lord one day. And we see that playing out here in the story. But we also see that Satan's present before the Lord too. We see there's work, things going on in the, in the spiritual realm. The word Satan, his Hebrew name means adversary. We know that Satan has many, many names. The evil one, the devil, the ancient serpent, the great dragon, right? We know that he's a fallen angel and he, he works to establish a, another kingdom. We know that he is the, the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In this world is his domain. He's the ruler of the air in Ephesians 2.2. 2. That's why we might have influence of what happens on TV and the internet and social media. He's the one who deceives the whole world. Revelation 12.9, he puts a veil on the truth for those who cannot see the, the gospel of truth. He's the tempter and his mission is to hinder God's work on earth. This one we find present as an accuser of the brethren, accusers of the brothers and sisters as they stand before God. You know what? Let me tell you something about this enemy, about Satan. He knows our mess. He knows our stuff, right? He, he has a rap sheet on us, and he keeps presenting that rap sheet before the Lord, right? Let me tell you, he's persistent because he does it night and day. That's why the world... That's why the word devil, another name for him, means slander. He won't slander. He'll continue to slander us before Christ. He'll continue to make us look bad before Christ. He'll keep speaking evil of us before Christ. He'll be saying stuff. Look at, he's not a priest because we're known as the priesthood of all believers. He's, he's, he's not a priest. You know what he said? You know what he thought? You know what he watched? He's got not good enough. For your kingdom. The lies that the serpent will speak to us. The lies that he'll bring to us. But I love this about the Lord because in verse 2 we find the Lord coming to his defense. Just like God's going to come for our defense. As there's accusations coming against us. He rebuked Satan, the scripture says in verse 2, right? He, the Lord put Satan in his place. He, he shut him down, right? Listen, Jesus, Jesus is our defense attorney right here. That's what he is. He's our defense attorney. And he shouts, objection, objection. Can you imagine the courtroom scene? Come on now, objection. I reject that accusation. That's what the Lord was doing at this moment, right? 
And he says, he says, you know what? I rebuke you like the, the, little, the little city of Jerusalem here. The city of Jerusalem wasn't even known on the map until God made it a prophetic city. It, it was a little small part in the, in the city. Until, God made Jerusalem famous. God put Jerusalem on the map because this would be the house of peace, Jerusalem. And it says that this Joshua, I plucked him out, this branch out of, out of the fire, out of the fire, right? I, I plucked this little stick, this, this little twig has been snatched from the fire, from the brand of the fire. The word brand there means a smoldering wood. You remember, ever, ever you ever go out to the beach or go camping and you, you, you have a fire pit and it's slowly dying, you just see the old burn up brown black wood is just smoldering. It's at the end of the fire, you just, it's just smoke. That's what that means here. This Joshua, I plucked him out of the smoldering fire. That's the work that I did. You know, we weren't much, but God loved us enough to snatch us out of the smoldering fire of judgment. We were purchased, the Bible fact says we were purchased before the foundations of the earth. Ephesians 4, 1 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Before we, even, before we even did anything wrong, God already chose us. He already plucked us. He already loved us. Can you imagine that? Before my daughter was born, Julie and I already loved, we're already ready to love our kids. God, whatever you bring. God loved us before we came even into existence. He chose us to be on this team before we even came into existence. That's how much his love is for us. Before we did anything, God chose us. But have we chosen him? And then he does this work, this spiritual work in the story. We see this in 3 through 5, Zechariah 3. He removes the old for the new. Look at verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garment from him. And to him he said, See, I removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with the riches. And, and, he, and I said, Then let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and then they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Hmm, the angel of the Lord stood by. We see God begins to clothe this priest with beautiful clothing, with ornate clothing for service. You know what? You, you think that he's, he says that Joshua had this kind of raggedy clothes, but he was a priest. He would have had ornate clothes. He would have had certain things that were given in the Old Testament that the priest had to wear and these beautiful garments and religious garments, right? I think the picture that what, what the Lord is bringing to us, even in our most beautiful efforts, we can cover it with our most religiousosity and our generosity, but Isaiah the prophet wrote, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even though he was a priest in his own effort, in his own work, and all they had, even his own garb, wasn't enough to get him in. God called that this, this rags. He called it rags. I think this vision paints an ugly picture of us sometimes on our own efforts or merits. We, we fall short. We fall short. See, the door of heaven is open to those who realize they're filthy rags and that they need to be redressed by a high priest, Jesus Christ. God wants to alter our, our clothing. God wants to redress us. He wants to trick us out this morning. You know, Julie says I look like a preppy kid this morning. <laughs> my little preppy outfit. I started, uh, I started uh, 
buying, you ever heard of thing called Stitch Fix and Stately? These are things you can buy online and they dress you up and tell them what you look like and what your size are and what your weight is and what you're looking at. And so I said, I'm going to try a little bit of something different that I normally wear. And they send me these, these garments and I get to pick what I want to wear. Right? So I, I, got, a, I, I got people dressing me. All right? And stuff. Listen, listen, I'm telling you something. The high priest has come to dress you this morning, and he's paid the price to dress you this morning. And he wants to clothe you and trick you out because your clothes, your old clothes, needs to be thrown away so he can give you some new clothes. He's going to go through your laundry basket. He's going to go through your closets. He's going to go through all that mess, and he's going to get rid of it because he wants to put some new clothes on you. You got to understand that this morning. But the thing about all this clothing is we got to surrender. We got to try something new, right? Because we're all, we like we're the right. We like to stay in those other types of clothes and the same look and the same. We never want to take some risk. We never want to let God surrender yourself because He has to remove the iniquity of the and clothe us with a rich robe, with the robe of His righteousness. See, see, when 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 Joshua was the priest was to be clothed, he didn't tell Joshua to go clean up your act. He didn't tell him that. Jesus cleaned up his act, right? He picked up after him. He got rid of the old garments. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it says, put off the old man and put on the new man. That's the picture we're beginning here. In fact, Isaiah 61, 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns himself with her jewels. He's, he's, he's beautifying you in this picture. Beautifying his bride. He's beautifying his priest. He's beautifying you spiritually. See, at the judgment seat of the believer, when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us or our sin. He sees his son. Do you hear that? He doesn't see our sin. He sees our son. His son is what he sees, right? That's the power of Christ in us, right? Jesus, our defense attorney, stands before the Father. Satan, the prosecuting attorney, makes accusations. Jesus says, my blood has covered his sin. He is in me. The judge says, lack of evidence. Case dismissed. You're free to go. That's the process here. That's, that's what we're seeing in this beautiful picture here. As there's been accusations coming. So the first thing I want you to know, there's a likeness to Christ. God has clothed you. If you want to be free in Christ and we want this newness of life, understand that God is reclothing us. He's, he's reconfiguring us. He's doing this work in us. So don't get discouraged when, 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 when you try it on some clothes or you, you try it on and you say, man, this is a little tight. I'm, my belly, I used to have a six-pack. I have a one-pack now, <laughs> right? It, what's happening, is, what's happening is, is that though it seems a little out comfortable, God's still working and in, in, in conditioning you and working you and training you and doing that. Let the work continue as he continues to clothe you because he's bringing newness of life. But here's the second part of this, guys. Second point number two is appropriation. Appropriation. That we are to walk in newness of life. See, the, fir the first one, a likeness, has to do with our identity. Appropriation has to do with the application of our identity. See, we, we have an identity, this is what we look like, but now how do we walk this out in newness? How do we walk this newness of light? How do we walk this freedom out, right? We see this in Romans chapter 6. If you want to go to the New Testament, go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to kind of stay there for a bit tonight as we finish this morning. Because we've been pardoned by faith, how are we to walk this out, right? See, 
I talked to you about my dog, Benny, last week. I'm going to bring him up again this morning because I was watching him this the week. My dog, Benny, yeah, he had a sin and temptation problem. <laughs> See, when, when, we, when we opened up our door, when we got him and when we opened up the door, he would like to run outside the door, run out to the street, and just cause bucks. I'm free, I'm free. And then he would chase all the cars in the neighborhood, chase all the people in the neighborhood, and just be out thinking, I'm free, I could do anything I want to know, realizing that when he goes out in his own freedom, that's not really free, he puts himself in danger to get hit by a car. See, that's what the pleasures of the world will do to you when you think you have freedom. Okay? But Benny was only acted out in his, in his nature. He was only acted out in his sin nature. He's only acting out like his dog nature is what he was doing. So what we had to do with Benny is we, we had to begin to train him not to run outside the door. So what we did is we, we taught him to sit at our commands and to wait when the door opened up. And then when he'd do that, we would give him a treat. We would bless him for, his, for the work that he did. And so he learned that when the door opened up, he would run to Julie and I, and he would sit at our feet, and he would look at the master. Because <laughs> he knew something was going to happen. He knew there was a blessing that was going to happen. He knew there was a roar that was going to happen. He knew that when he sat at the master's feet, no longer will there be the temptation, the pleasure to run outside. Listen, though sin has been defeated in our life, that nature of our past can be temptation. What we do in this walk is to keep our eyes on the master and take pleasure in him. And we don't focus on the sin, we focus on the savior. I want you to hear that. When we're struggling, we, gotta, we don't focus on not, we focus on what we can. We, we don't focus, we focus on this identity, we focus on the savior that our mind is being renewed. It's not, sometimes we'll focus on the don'ts so much we forget to focus on the do's. <laughs> and, and we have to be careful of that this morning. But here's some thought in the process as we're looking at our walk to newness of life. Number one, you gotta understand that we're dead to sin. We're dead to sin. Look at verses one through five in Romans six. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism to death. And just as Christ raised him from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Let me tell you this. First of all, grace is not permission to live in false freedom. Grace is, grace is not permission to live in false freedom, right? What is Paul doing here? In chapter 6, he's actually answering the question of the thought all the way in, in chapter 5, verse 20. In chapter five, 5, verse 20, he says this, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And what people were thinking was, hey, if, if, if I sin more, then grace, there's more grace in my life. So I can live any way I want to live because there's grace that will cover it. And so Paul is beginning to respond to that thought we brought up last week in chapter 5. Paul said, the author said, certainly not. Perish that thought. Get rid of that thought. That's not heavenly thinking is what he's saying. We see that in verse 1. We don't bide in that house anymore. We have moved on. That old nature, right? Romans chapter 1 through 5, we, we were dead in sin. But in starting in chapter 6, it tells us we are, we, are, we are dead to sin. See, we were dead in sin in the previous chapters. We're dead to sin in this chapter here. We have been gifted with grace, 
Let's not abuse this grace, but God's grace has not given us permission to live any way we want. He commands us to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 1 Peter 2.16 says, For you are free, yet you are God's slave. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Okay? You have been set free. Don't get tangled up back up in the web of this world. Right? Don't get caught up in the web and the mess of this world. And so what he's going to do in verses 3 to 5, he's going to illustrate that thought or illustrate that point of kind of what God has done for us and how we identify with him. He says, let me break down this thought in verses 3 to 5. And that's what he talks about the baptism, the symbol of the, the baptism, because he's illustrating baptism here. We have been united with his death, burial, and resurrection. We died to sin, and we were buried, and we've been risen to in newness of life. That was the picture of baptism. Jesus go baptize in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We do baptisms here. We did baptisms a couple weeks ago, and we take you when we immersed you in the water and we brought you back up. That's a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. You had this old life. You're buried, put to death that old life, and you're raised to new life. That's the picture that he's painting in verses 3 through 5. But I love this. Me and many of the pastors have baptized many of you here. It's commanded to baptism. But when John the Baptist was on the scene... He had the privilege of baptizing Jesus. Jesus never sinned, but he was showing the sign of obedience of baptism. But John said an interesting thing. I baptize you, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you with the spirits. Let, let me tell you something. You want freedom? The freedom doesn't come by my hand baptizing you. I can dunk you and bring you up, and you can still be the same person. But when you get immersed by the power of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus, that's a whole different story. That, the, the power of the Spirit is what we need to be immersed in. The power of the Spirit is what's going to break our bondage. The power of the Spirit is going to free us and liberate us. The power of the Spirit is the one that's going to keep us going. We have to be immersed in His Spirit. That's, that's the idea here. His Holy Spirit is the one who's our deliverer. That's the same Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead. That's the same Spirit that lives in us. That's the power we have. So we're dead in sin, but here we go, going to 6 through 11. We're alive in Christ. We're alive in Christ here, right? It says, look at verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But for the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a process to being alive. We see that in verses 6 through 8. There's a process, right? The old man is crucified with Christ. That's the first Adam. We looked at the two Adams in chapter 5. Adam in the garden that sinned, and Jesus is the second Adam, right? We were born in the first Adam. God created us, and now we're the second, taking on the identity of second Adam, right? So the old, the old Adam was put to death. The unregenerated self, the, the dead man, right? But Christ broke the chains of bondage, and he released me from the old Adam, from captivity. This body of flesh lost its power, we are no longer mastered by it. It says he's done away with it, can, can be translated, rendered idle, inactive, inoperable. 
You know what, you know what the word Ford, the, the car Ford stands for? Uh, found on road dead. Listen, inoperable, doesn't work. I know y'all be looking ready at me like, what's up? You know what I mean? Let, let, me tell you, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When we, been, when we died and we put to death, that sin is inoperable in our life. Has no power. Found on the side. Found cast away. Found in the junkyard. Buried in the past. That's, that's, that's what we have. But we know death is needed for life. We have to hit the reset button. That's what verse 7 is saying, Right? If we are dead to sin, then why, the question is, then why do we still, pastor, if we're dead to sin, then why do we keep sinning? Why do we struggle off? Why do we still struggle with these battles in us? First of all, we have to understand when we're dead to sin and we're alive to Christ, what God did is, is that he, he, he put to death the factory of sin. You know, factories are where you build things. You go into a factory, they build cars in a factory, and they do the things, and it's a factory they've developed there, right? But when they close down a factory... They don't produce that anymore. But it doesn't mean that the factory doesn't have cars that are still out on the road from the, from the byproduct of that factory. Listen, when the factory of sin is shut down because it's been killed, doesn't mean that there's still not overflow or residue of that, right? We're still going to experience the residue of the effects of sin, but we're no longer under the dominion of sin. You know, I, I've, done, I've done many, many funerals this last year, and... And I talked talk to many guys at the mortuary and the kind of the undertakers who prepare the bodies. And it's very interesting when I talk to them, they say, you know what, when, when I prepare the bodies, there's still an appearance of life. In fact, one guy I was talking to, he says, I've done this for many, many years. Nails still grow. Hair still grows while they're dead. They have muscle responses, and sometimes they can even blink their eyes. That's freaky. I know what, yeah, yes, yeah. Mara, well, she, she has a mortuary. She, if you want to go to the next life, I want to introduce you tomorrow. No, I'm just joking. Um, listen, listen, they're still, even in these cadavers, right, is, is, though they're dead, they have some semblance of life. Even though we're dead to sin, we still have some semblance of life of the old nature. The old man is still there. It's still happening. Some of you have said yes to Jesus, you put the brakes on the old life, you put to death the old life. But let me tell you, there's still residue of that old life that's still going to manifest for a little bit. You still know how to do sin, and you probably did sin well, and you probably were good at sin. Right? You practice sin. But then you put a brake on sin, and you skid, I said, I'm done, you're skidding. The residue is still coming because that momentum is still coming. And we're seeing that there. But what is the promise found in verse 8? The promise is this, guys, that we have eternal life promised us because we identified with his resurrection. First Timothy 2.6 says, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. That's the living translation. For freedom for everyone. And so Christ's death broke the power of sin. We see that in verses 9 through 11. He broke the power of sin. Christ died, they said Christ died once and for all. He didn't die many, many times. He didn't, he can go to cross many, many times. He just did it once, and it was sufficient to destroy the power of sin. And so the death, burial, and resurrection wrecked in us dead to sin. In this verse, it uses the word reckon. It says it's reckon. You think, I'm reckoning everything's going to be okay. You know what I mean? You think of that word like that. You know what I mean? 
But actually the word reckon is an accounting term, meaning to add up the figures or to come to a conclusion. It means counting on it to be so or to have confidence or understanding the work of Christ that you dead to sin and alive to Christ. See, what happens is your, your unbelief of God's work can keep you from applying Christ's truths. He says, in light of all that's happening, I've told you that you're dead to sin. Do you believe it? Listen, if my kids say, Dad, I'm hungry, I said, go to In-N-Out Burger and pick yourself up a burger and some need. He goes, well, we don't have no money. And I said, I just put money into your account, right? I just, what is it, Zello, Vimeo, Zello. I said, I just put money into your account, all right? I just, like, like. Don't give me your numbers because I won't give you no money. But I'm just, listen, I, I, I send them money, and they, they got money in their account. But if they don't go to In-N-Out Burger because they don't think I put that money in the account, it's not because I haven't blessed them. It's because they have unbelief. Listen, listen, I, you've already got the abundance. You've already been deposited. You've already been given what you need, but your unbelief keeps you from the idea of being dead to sin. See, we, this morning, God's deposited everything we need. We've got to believe it. It's reckoned. It's done. It's accounted for. That's why some translators say, consider this in that verse. Consider it. And then it challenges this appropriation here. We become instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. As we look at verses 12 to 14, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What is it saying here? Number one, don't open the door to sin no more. Don't open the door. Keep the casket closed, right? You're dead. And because you're dead, your sin cannot master you. You, you see that in verse 10. Therefore, let... Let not sin reign in your mortal body, right? The mortal reign means to have rule over you. Don't let it have rule. Don't let it, don't let it master you, your mortal body. That it, you should obey its lust, right? You know that sin has a voice? Temptation has a voice? And it knows your name? And it calls your name? Right? That, that's why it, it's saying in verse 11, right, that you should, that you should obey it that you should obey it in its lust. Don't give yourself over to that. The enemy is accusing you. The enemy is drawing you. The enemy is calling you. He's tempting you. He has your name. He knows your voice. He's trying to get your ear. Do not let sin control the way you live and don't give in to the sinful desires. But then it says here, do not present your members as unrighteousness, but a righteousness right? Present your members as instruments of righteousness. That each of us in this room are living sacrifices. We're going to get into that when we get to chapter 12 later in the series. You're no longer under the servitude of sin. Your members, it talks, the members mean your body, right? The parts of your body. Be careful of that. Because our bodies can be used for righteousness and unrighteousness. I only think of David, King David, right? When he was 12 years old, a young man, he used his hand as a means of righteousness to strike Goliath. 
uses a weapon. The word their weapon is used. The word instrument is another word for weapon. He uses hand as a weapon for righteous to slay the evil one. But he also uses eyes as a weapon to look on Bathsheba to sin. So there's instruments of righteousness and, and unrighteousness. God's given us this, this body to, to, for his service, right? He's enlisted us in his armies. He's enlisted us to glorify him. But I want you to understand something, guys. Don't beat yourself up. There's a progressive growth going on in your life. There's a, there's a maturation happening. There's development happening, right? There's sanctification happening. God's not calling you to be perfect. He's just calling you to mature. To mature. When babies from the time they're born for the first year to the end of the first year, that's the quickest growth we're going to see in the development of babies in one year. They're coming from the womb to crawling to walking in one year. That's a, matura- that's a quick maturation process, but doesn't mean there hasn't been mistakes along the way. doesn't mean the, ba- the, the child who's trying to crawl and walk hasn't bumped their head or fallen or scraped their knee or done some things they shouldn't do to get to where they need to be. But there is still a maturation process. Same in our own walk. But the maturation process as you go on in your, in your, as your age, in your spiritual walk, you'll be continuing to grow and mature as you get older. Some of you might be only one year in the Lord. Some of you might be 30 years in the Lord. Some of you might be 60 years in the Lord. So your maturation process should be according to your age, right? Right? What I expect with my kids where five is different than what I expect they're 25. Because if they're 25, still acting like a five-year-old, there's a problem. Okay? And there are some adults that are older still acting like teenagers because they haven't matured. Same thing spiritually. There is a maturation process, and you're called to be weapons of righteousness. You're called to be weapons and tools for the things of God and instruments for the things of God. So there's maturing. Listen. Thirdly, the sin has no power over you because you're under grace. You're under grace, right? Sin will have not dominion or power over you because that's a promise. He's giving you a promise in verse 14. Guys, we are in the age of grace. Safety. Grace is our safety net. You know why we could take risks for the kingdom? Because I know there's a safety net. You know why I could walk the tightrope and be all bold and walk with the Lord? Because I know there's a safety net. Right? Right? I, you could do crazy stuff, you know, but it's going to catch you. Right. Some of you guys, you know, you're, 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 you're belaying down, you're rock climbing, rock, rock climbing, you're going down, and there's a belay, right? You're going to be, like, jumping off and flipping and spinning. You never do anything like that before, but you know there's a belay going to catch you. Right? You know, he's, gonna, he's holding you tight. You ain't going to go nowhere. God's got us. God's got us. Right? He put a safety net. Not to abuse grace. We talked about that early but to walk and take risks and do crazy stuff for the kingdom. And we might just dumb, we might just make some bad calls or go the wrong thing. But if our intentions are seeking the Lord and doing things for the Lord, but we might do it wrong or do it improperly or might even offend some people along the way as we're trying to mature and walk. That's part of our maturing, but we will never grow unless we do that. But understand that God's grace is sufficient in our process. It's there to cover our mistakes along the way. It's not cheap grace. Not cheap grace. Bonhoeffer wrote a book on that. He's a great theologian. You can read his book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wanted to kill and assassinate Hitler. He had such a great conviction, but prior to that happening, he was captured for his faith and killed. 
but he had a whole theology of things that were going on because he was so convicted about how he felt. Listen, to get serious about our, my sin or your sin is to put the work on me. To understand the work of Christ in my life is to put the work on him. For he has begun a good work in me and he'll be faithful to complete it. That completion is when we're with him in heaven. That's the glorification. The sanctification is taking, happening now, but the glorification is when we're within heaven. And there's appropriation means we're trying to work out that. So he's made us righteous so we can live righteously. That's the freedom. There's where the freedom is in our walking. There's the newness of life. We're, we're not saved by work, but by grace. But let me tell you, when we understand grace, we're going to serve God. We're going to serve him. So I remind you of these two things as we close, and we're going to partake of communion this morning. Number one, a likeness that God clothed us in newness of life. He gave us new garments so we could take on his identity. We're to walk in that identity. We've got a spiritual swag. We got, we, we're decked out. We have this likeness that's akin to him. Christians, little Christ, Christ followers, taking on this image. We're creating this image and this likeness. So we're called to what? appropriate that image and likeness by walking in newness of life. Walking in ways that are holy. Walking in ways that are honorable. Walking in ways that people see you. That's our call this morning. Amen? Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we've been talking about this freedom in Christ, Lord, as we've been talking about what it means to, to walk with you in freedom, Lord, we've taken on your likeness, your image. Lord, you've beautified us through this special supernatural clothing of your righteousness and your robe of righteousness, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand that. But I also pray, Lord, that we would just apply what we understand. That, Father, it's not just head knowledge, but there's a heart aspect to it. There's an application aspect to it. So when we leave this place here, Father, we appropriate, we, do, we live righteously before the world that they can see the hope that's within us. So I pray your blessings upon your people this morning. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.